again, as most of you are aware, this weekend is ladies' conference, so I know we have a bunch of ladies that are there. We probably got a couple of dads that are home with kids. Um, thank you to the, I see at least one dad that's braved it tonight with the kids, and I appreciate that. Amen. So, I don't see any guests tonight. I do see lots of lovely, wonderful faces that I know, so thank you for being here with me tonight. I really didn't want to be here by myself. Amen. I, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I expected, my expectations are, uh, were very, this was obviously my human expectations and not spiritual discernment. I knew very well that not every lady would be at ladies' conference. I understand you have schedules. Some of you can't get out of work. Some of you are in school. Um, but I got to tell you, there's a lot more ladies here than... Well, let me rephrase that. There's not necessarily more ladies than I expected, but I expected the ratio to be different than it is. I really expected the men to outnumber the ladies tonight, and I don't think that's the case. Um, but I'm going to tell you, and again, I knew, well aware, did not expect that there would be no ladies tonight, and expected a good number of ladies. But I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm just kind of have felt something for several days at least, and uh, actually longer than that, maybe not as clear of direction as, or the direction that I've ended up at, but I really kind of anticipated for a while now that tonight would be kind of directed at the men, and again, knowing ladies would be here. So I, I'm going to, if you're a wife, I need you just to sit there tonight silent, listen, you got some amens, you know, keep them inside. None of this. To you single ladies that have some desire at some point in the future to hopefully find a mate, I challenge you to listen tonight because I think what I'm going to communicate would be very beneficial to you as you look for the man that God has for you. Now, I'm, I'm just going to, I may get in trouble, but I got the mic. And uh, I, I believe you need to know when you get married, you're getting married in the will of God. I believe that. I believe that. But I got to tell you, you, you ought to be in love. And in fact, I'm just going to tell you from my perspective, you ought to start feeling some love before you start figuring out the will of God. <laughs> Woo. Now, I, I said it. You, you need to know before you say I do that you're in the will of God. But I just got to tell you, thankfully, I'm married and happily married. But I got to tell you, if my wife's first feeling was the will of God before it was she was attracted to me, I don't really know that I'd have been interested in that. Oh my, boy, holy ground right now, ain't I? I mean, read the story when Abraham, or, or, or when, I, when, when Abraham's servant went to find Isaac's wife. There was some stuff in there about looks, and I mean, he kind of noticed right away she looked good. I 
Let me tell you something. We, we, I, I, it happens. It's happened to some of you. Whether you're the, the, the lady or the man, if anybody goes pulling the will of God card out as a way to try to manipulate you into something, I, I, I made sure I knew I was in the will of God before I married my wife. But I'm going to tell you something. She got my eye a long time before I was wondering about the will of God. In fact, I was, oh boy, I was praying it would be the will of God before I asked if it was the will of God. I'm like, please, Lord, let her be the one. Anyway, so to the, to the single ladies, I, I do believe you could be benefited by this tonight. So, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay a little bit of foundation to get to where I'm really going because this is just some little bit of introduction to make a point to get to where, um, where I want to get to. So I'll read one verse and then you can, you can sit down. Um, I've got these out of order here. So Genesis 2.15, I've used these verses or this verse not too long ago in some teaching and, um, you have to bear with me. This is the first time I've gotten to teach on a Thursday night in several weeks, and it'll be my last time to teach in several weeks. So I won't take all that out on you tonight, I promise. So, Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man. Everybody say the man. There are places in the Bible where it uses the word man that it's being more generic. It's about mankind than it is about the male. But here it's the male. And he put him in the garden of Eden and he gave him two responsibilities, dress it and keep it. The word dress there basically means to nurture, to cultivate, to care for it. The word keep it there means to guard, protect it. He gave man those two instructions when he put him in the garden. Father, thank you for the privilege of being here tonight. I pray, God, that you would bless all of the ladies that are at ladies' conference this weekend, that you would minister to them, touch them, refresh them, renew them, strengthen them, let your spirit move and work in every one of those sessions. I pray, God, for us here tonight, Lord, I know that you are not bound by a crowd, and wherever two or three are in your name, you're in the midst So I thank you for being here tonight. And I'm asking you to speak to us tonight. God, I pray that you would speak not only through me, but I pray that you would also speak to me. Give us ears to hear whatever you would desire to say, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. He gave man, man, males, a clear responsibility when he put him in the garden. I realize that in 2017, our society has lots of single-family homes, and sin has caused a lot of heartache and pain. So you got to understand tonight, I'm, I'm speaking from biblical principles, biblical perspectives, okay? And so in God's way, He gave man some direct responsibilities. It wasn't the woman's, it wasn't Eve's responsibility, it was Adams, there's too many times and there's too many homes, even homes where there is a godly husband and wife, that the husband is not really doing his job as the dresser and the keeper. It's too easy to get into a default and allow the wife to be that person. 
I'm not just in a marriage seminar tonight, so hang in there. You, you. I, I know some of you already know this, and and I know it, but it just kind of hit me again today as I was studying, and I, I double checked to make sure. If you read uh, the next verse, I believe it is, or the next verse or two after this, is where God then says to Adam. Of every tree of the garden you can eat, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As of this point, as of right now, there is no Eve. When God told Adam to dress and keep the garden, and then he told Adam, you can eat of any tree, Eve was not around to hear what God said. It's in verse 18, I believe, of this chapter where the process of Eve being created is told. That God forms her. It was Adam's job as the dresser and the keeper to tell Eve what God had said. Well, I guess he told her something, but apparently he wasn't real clear in what God said because she said, God said, you can't eat it and you can't touch it. But God gave Adam the responsibility. God gave Adam that responsibility. He did not give Eve the responsibility of being the dresser and the keeper of the garden. So I, I, I want you to uh, do it this way. So this is, this is more the, the uh, focus of what I want to share with you tonight. Actually, let me, let, me, let me share this first. I was watching a clip on Facebook the other day, and this statement was made, and I thought it was a very powerful statement. You don't marry a personality, you marry character. And character is revealed by the quality of decisions made. You don't marry personality, you marry character. Personality may be that outward, you know, persona. But it's character that really demonstrates who a person is. And so I, I want you to, I, I want this, 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 a uh, couple of weeks ago now, I came across these verses again. I've known them. I know them. First Timothy 3, 1. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. So here's what I want you to do tonight. These are a little bit out of order. According to Thayer's, according to Thayer's, the Greek word here, bishop, means an overseer. A man charged with the duty of seeing that things to be done by others are done rightly. Any curator, guardian, or superintendent. Now, I understand that tonight... When I say the word bishop, you and I have a frame of reference for that. We have brother bishop here, but 
If I say bishop, all I got to do is say bishop, and you automatically, most of you have a picture in your mind of the bishop. And when I say the bishop, we, 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 my dad, I've heard my dad joke at times, I don't have a name anymore, he'll say, I'm, I'm the bishop, and he'll say, even my wife calls me the bishop. If I say the bishop to you tonight, you, you've got a, an image. And so I understand that majority of time if we say bishop, the bishop, or a bishop, we are thinking in the context of the senior leader of a, of a church or someone that's over multiple ministries. But I, I, want, I don't want you to think of this in that context because what I'm here tonight to challenge every male here is that in in the proper context of what I'm saying, you're a bishop. According to the definition, you're a bishop. You may not be the bishop of a church, but you got the bishop role of a house. Are you not an overseer? Are you not charged with the duty of seeing that things to be done by others or done rightly in your house? Are, are you not the guardian? Are you not the superintendent of your, if you are the man, if you are a godly man, then you are the head of your house. So, you, you, I, I, I gotta make sure every male has that before I, we are not, I am not here tonight to talk to you about the bishop. I'm here to talk to you and I as overseers of whatever it is God has put us over. What God has given you and I charge over. And so what I, what I want you to see, and, and many of you already know these verses, but over the last couple of weeks, this passage and then a parallel, I'll read it in a few moments, in, in uh, Titus as well, where Paul gives the requirements or the qualifications for a bishop. And, and I just got to noticing the last several weeks, I think in the past, I've, actually I think a couple of years ago I went through this a little bit, I never taught about it, never shared it in a service, but... For several weeks now, this passage has just been kind of chewing at my mind. And, and here's the thing I really want you to see tonight. As we get, as we read through this, and then I, we, we focus on some of these, and I point some out over others. I want you to notice the things that Paul says to Timothy, and the things that Paul says in Titus are the qualifications for a bishop, for an overseer. And, and here's what I really want you to notice. I'm going to kind of give the punchline away, I guess, from the beginning. If I could, this probably is not the best way to say it, but it's, it's the way that I think best says what I'm trying to say. What I want you to know is how seemingly unspiritual most of these things are. In fact, what I... What I want you, as after I read these passages, I, I want you to think about, because I think most of you probably could, think of some of the things that you would think would be a part of the requirement of this list that are actually not in this list. We started with verse 1, verse number 2, he says, now he's going 
he's now going to give. I, I also want you to notice from all of this the standard that God sets. A bishop must be blameless. The husband of one wife. Thank you, Jesus. Vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house having his children in subjection with all gravity. If any, uh, Titus, sorry, that was Timothy, now Titus, parallel passage or similar passage, Paul says in Titus chapter 1, verse 6, If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless, as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able to, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayer. Now, I'm going to read here a little bit, hopefully not more than you'd like, but I'm going to read a couple of other translations just to give some more flavor. But but before I do that, you notice some of the things that are not in this list? There's nothing in there that says a bishop must have a prayer life. Nothing in there that says he must be able to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Nothing that says he needs to know how to intercede. Nothing in there that says he needs to be a passionate worshiper. You notice how sort of... Uh, I almost want to say natural, but that's probably not the best way, but just sort of how basic. Do you see how basic he? Part of my broader point, and this applies male and female, it's pretty apparent to me from these two passages that God is not interested in somebody that has some kind of spiritual component of their lives, and then everything else is in chaos and disarray. I'm sorry, and I know we got a small crowd, and the smaller the crowd, the straighter you got to shoot to make sure you hit somebody. <laughs> Broader the crowd, you just get it out there, and you're probably going to hit somebody somehow. But I would venture to say that even in this smaller crowd here tonight... There are people sitting in this room right now that you know how to pray, 
That if I ask you right now, I need you to, if I just, I, I know there's people in this room right now that if I said, I need, I need somebody right now to intercede, that there's some of you that in a matter of seconds, you'd be in full gear. And yet everything out there in your life is turmoil. It's chaos. It's confusion. Amplified. You'd, you'd think on a night like this when we're already whacked out and less people, I'd be very, you know, great motivational speaker. The one shot I got to teach in two months, and this is... <laughs> Amplified, First Timothy says it this way. Now a bishop, superintendent, overseer must be, must give no grounds for accusation, but must be above reproach. Husband of one wife, circumspect and temperate and self-controlled. He must be sensible and well-behaved and dignified and lead an orderly, disciplined life. He must be hospitable, showing love for and being a friend to the believers, especially strangers or foreigners and be a capable and qualified teacher, not given to wine, not combative, but gentle and considerate, not quarrelsome, but forbearing and peaceable, not a lover of money, insatiable for wealth and ready to obtain it by questionable means. He must rule his own household well, keeping his children under control with true dignity, commanding their respect, in every way, and keeping them respectful. For if a man knows not how to rule his own household, how is he to take care of the church of God? Oh, hallelujah. He must not be a new convert, or he may develop a beclouded and stupid state of mind as the result of pride, be blinded by conceit and fall into the condemnation that the devil once did. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation and be well thought of by those what? Eh, Sorry if you can't read it there. Some of you can, I heard you. Be thought well of by who? Those outside the church lest he become involved in a slander and incur reproach and fall into the devil's trap. The living Bible. It is a true saying that if a man wants to be a pastor, he has a good ambition. For a pastor must be a good man whose life cannot be spoken against. He must have only one wife and he must be hardworking and thoughtful, orderly and full of good deeds. He must enjoy having guests in his home and must be a good Bible teacher. If you don't like having people in your house, you're not a pastor. You may be a prophet, you may be an evangelist, but you ain't a pastor. (laughs) He must not be a drinker or quarrelsome, but he must be gentle and kind and not to be one who loves money. He must have a well-behaved family with children who obey quickly and quietly. For if a man can't make his own little family behave, how can he help the whole church? Oh, hallelujah. Verse number six. 
The pastor must not be a new Christian because he might be proud of being chosen so soon. And pride comes before a fall. Satan's downfall is an example. Also, he must be well spoken of by people outside the church, those who aren't Christians, so that Satan can't trap him with many accusations and leave him without freedom to lead his flock. I'll skip the New Living Translation. I do want to jump to the Message Bible because I like the way it broadens this passage. If anyone wants to provide leadership in the church, good. But there are preconditions. A leader must be well thought of. I, oh, my goodness. I wonder, Brother you, if we had to go down the list of leaders and started with this qualification, I wonder how many people might be disqualified from leadership. Because they're not well thought of. I, I'm reading you the Bible, folks. Don't. <laughs> well, bless God, I got an anointing. I'll... A leader must be well thought of, committed to his wife, cool and collected, accessible. And hospitable. He must know what he's talking about. Not be over fond of wine, not pushy but gentle, not thin skinned, not money hungry. He must handle his own affairs well, attentive to his own children and having their respect. For if someone is unable to handle his own affairs, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a new believer lest the position go to his head and the devil trip him up. Outsiders must think well of him or else the devil will figure out a way to lure him into his trap. I I forget if you were the one I was in the conversation with. I apologize that I can't remember the details don't take that personal. There's a lot of things I forget that are very important, so it's nothing against you. I was in some conversation with somebody recently or heard something somewhere recently where someone was talking about an individual who is, they were done with church. They were done with church, and the reason they were done with church is because of the pastor. The bottom line is there's no pastor that's not going to make mistakes. There's no pastor that's perfect enough that's never going to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. Nowhere. But the flip side is what a tragedy it is when someone can be that that offended because of the behavior of somebody who is supposed to be an overseer of God's flock. I'm not, I'm not gonna, for the sake of time, I'm not gonna read. I've got them all. I've got a bunch tonight that I promise you I will not cover. But as always, I purposely included it. And I'm challenging the brethren here tonight. I challenge you to get these notes and read through them. So again, since it's, a lot of it is fairly similar between Timothy and Titus, I'm not going to read through 
all of these strands. I have them, but I'm not going to read through all of them in Titus. So I want you to see this. This, this is when you com- when you combine these two passages. There's a few things that are in one that aren't in the other. And so as best I could in comparing the two, this, this is what I came up with as kind of the comprehensive list between Timothy and Titus where Paul said the qualifications of an overseer. So he, he, here's the summary of what we've read. Blameless, one wife, steward of God. You are a steward of God's stuff. Sober, not self-willed, good behavior, not soon angry, vigilant, hospitality, a lover of good men, apt to teach, no wine, no striker, not greedy, patient, not a brawler, not covetous, not given to filthy lucre. Rules his own house, must be just, must be holy, must be temperate, holding fast the word, able to exhort. (laughs) That's a pretty extensive list that Paul says, if you're an overseer, if you are entrusted with taking care of something, these are the qualifications that are expected. And I'm going to say it again. I can't come up with a better way to say it. But I, I just, I want you again to notice the, 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 maybe I could say it this way, the practicality of this list. I mean, this is practical, everyday kind of stuff. This this is not stuff that's up in the heavenlies. I've said it many times in the past, and so I'll say it again tonight. I, I I, I am often very concerned with how much we sort of seem to focus on the spiritual and then tolerate, excuse the natural being all out of whack. Paul was extremely clear to say these are the things that should be expected. I'm not, I'm not going to go through every one of these. I'm going to share, I want to share a little bit of commentary on some of them. I've picked a few of them out here and there. Again, more than willing to provide if you want to read through in more detail. Barnes notes with regards to this blameless. This is a different word. I won't try to pronounce it. From the word rendered blameless in Luke chapter 1 verse 6 as well as in Philippians. You can compare the notes on that in the Barnes notes. But the word here used does not mean that as a necessary qualification for office a bishop should be Perfect. So in those other places, blameless is referring to being perfect. But here it's not talking about perfect, but that he should be a man against whom no charge of immorality or of holding false doctrine is alleged. 
His conduct should be irreprehensible or irreproachable. Undoubtedly, it means that if any charge could be brought against him, implying moral obliquity, he is not fit for the office. He should be a man of irreproachable character for truth, honesty, chastity, and general uprightness. So again, forget about the bishop right now. Forget. I wonder how many of you men here tonight can say, I have a character. My character is irreproachable. I wonder how many of us tonight live by two sets of rules. We, we, we got our church world rules, and then we got our everyday rules. We got one set of behavioral expectations for ministry and church stuff, but then surely you don't expect this side of the natural to mirror the spiritual. No, actually I don't expect the natural to mirror the spiritual. I think I could prove to you scripturally the spiritual is more so a mirror of the natural. Go read the book, Ordering Your Private World, if you've never read it. Great book. How many of you have been around Antioch long enough when it was recommended reading years ago? I was a child then, but... God told Adam, God gave Adam a natural, real life, natural garden to dress and keep. That was not Adam's purpose for creation. That's not, that's not the goal of what God created Adam to be. But God gave Adam a natural responsibility to be able to see how committed he could be to spiritual things. We want God to give us spiritual responsibilities and ignore how we take care of natural things. Oh, Lord. I don't know what I was expecting. Blameless. Again, I'm not, I'm not covering every one of these for time's sake. Sober. Barnes Notes says with regards to sober, this is a man of a sound mind. One who follows sound reason and who is not under the control of passion. The idea is that he should have his desires and passions well regulated. Perhaps the word prudent would come nearer to meaning of the, of the apostle than any single word which we have. It's not necessarily sober in the sense of serious, but you're not governed by impulses and passions. You don't see the advertisement for the latest iPhone and completely ignore the financial condition of your household and run out to get it. You're not governed by passion and impulses. You have a sound mind. Again, Barr's notes with regards to this good behavior. 
I mean, how, how, how practical does that sound? I mean, is it just me? Am I, am I on my own here tonight? Are we okay? Good behavior. Good behavior. He says, of good behavior, modest. Coverdale renders it mannerly. The most correct rendering, according to the modern use of language, would be that he should be a gentleman. (laughs) That's great, isn't it? He should be a gentleman. Are you kidding me? Yeah. He should be a gentleman. He should not be slovenly in his appearance or rough and boorish in his manners. He should not do violence to the usages of refined conversation nor be unfit to appear respectable in the most refined circles of society. Inattention to personal neatness and to the rules which regulate refined contact is indicative neither of talent, learning, nor religion. And though they are occasionally not often connected with talent, learning, and religion, yet they are never the fruit of either and are always a disgrace to those who exhibits such incivility and boorishness for such men ought to know better. My, my role, pastorally, my role as a husband and my role as a father doesn't give me the right to be a grouch. Doesn't give me the right to just push everybody around because... Bless God, I'm in charge around here. Hang on, I'm going to see if I can find something more enjoyable here. I'm pretty sure it's not in here, but we'll keep looking. Not skipping it because it's not good. I'm skipping it just to save time. Patient. Must be patient. Modest, mild, gentle. The word means that the minister of the gospel should be a man of mild and kind demeanor, such as his master was. What is it you're over, what is it you're the overseer of? What is it God's given you care of? What is your responsibility for watching over and guarding? Can it be said of you that you're patient, that you're mild? A man of mild and kind demeanor? He that ruleth well, his own, he that ruleth well his own house. I gotta tell you, I've been I've been bothered by this passage for a long time. I I, I don't need the Message Bible to explain that. (laughs) You know, there's some passages the Message Bible explains a little better. I I don't really need that any plainer. Paul said, if you're going to be an overseer, you need to rule your house well. One who properly presides over and governs his own family. One who has the command of his own house, not by sternness, 
severity and tyranny, but with all gravity, governing his household by rule, everyone knowing his own place, and each doing his own work, and each work having the proper time assigned for its beginning and end. This is a maxim of common sense. No family can be prosperous that is not under subjection, and no person can govern a family but the head of it, the husband who is both by nature and the appointment of God, the head or governor of his own house. He says, with regards to having his children in subjection, this does not mean that his children should invent gravity, whatever may be true on that point, but it refers to the father. He should be a grave or serious man in his family, a man free from levity of character and from frivolity, of and fickleness in his conversation with his children, it does not mean that he should be severe, stern, morose, which are traits that are often mistaken for gravity and which are as inconsistent with the proper spirit of a father as frivolity of manner, but that he should be a serious and sober-minded man. He should maintain proper dignity is the Hebrew or Greek word there I won't try to pronounce. He should maintain self-respect and his deportment should be such as to inspire others with respect for him. I don't, I, I, I guess a lot of it is just personality, but it's not necessarily that often that I just lose it with laughter. Every now and then something really gets me. I always, I, I always notice, or most of the time I notice in those moments, especially if it's a family setting or I'm with my kids, those, I, mom, look, dad's got tears. I don't think, I don't think I'm grouchy. I don't think I'm, gro- sometimes I am. Rephrase that. I got a feeling I'm not the only man here that's grumpy and grouchy sometimes. Ladies, I said, no amens. I'm just looking for honest men right now. I'm not looking for confirming wives. But I mean, overall, that should not be the demeanor that you're perceived of having as being unhappy, grouchy, grumpy. Sober, sound mind, yes. But, But my point is, while I don't want, while I, it's not that I never want there to be just knee slapping laughter. I do want there to be a sense in my children that recognize a soberness. I don't want to be viewed as being frivolous, flighty, fickle. I want there to be a, a steadiness, a stability that can be seen. realize I was skipping so much. I think I'm, I tried to rearrange some of this. I think I may have gotten this out of order a little bit, but a minister of the gospel should be a finished gentleman in his manners, and there is no excuse for him if he is not. His religion, if he has any, is adapted to make him such. He has usually received such an education as ought to make him such, and in all cases ought to have had such a training. 
He is admitted into the best society and has an opportunity of becoming familiar with the laws of refined conversation. He should be an example and a pattern in all that goes to promote the welfare of mankind. And there are few things so easily acquired that are suited to do this as refinement and gentility of manners. No man can do good on the whole or in the long run by disregarding the rules of refined contact and other things being equal, the refined, courteous, polite gentleman in the ministry will always do more than he who neglects the rules of good breeding. <laughs> Bless God, I'm in charge. I don't have to worry about how I act. I'm, I'm in charge here. Really? Is that really the attitude of Christ? I'm not going to. I thought I was going to read some more of this. I'm not going to continue reading so much. I'm going to. Last point here in these passages a good report of them which are without. Without. A good report of them which are without. Paul says. In this, in this whole list of all of these things that are required, that are expected to be seen in the, in the overseer. He, he, he touches on, on, on all of these very facets of our lives and, and leaves nothing, really doesn't leave anything out. I mean, it's not just how I am inside four walls. It's, I, I've said it many times before. We, we, we've been, we've, we, we, we've been working through some things in our house in a variety of ways and, 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 and there is a challenge. One of the reasons, one of the reasons that so many, it's not the only, there's a few other things that I think are at the top of the list, but one of the reasons that so many preachers' kids end up backsliding is because they struggle seeing the humanity of the person that stands in the pulpit. You, 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 don't, you don't really know me. You don't really know me. Because most of what most of you know of me is what you see here. I'm trying to present you a real me, but that's not all there is to me. <laughs> you, 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 you see that, I mean, most of the time, all you're seeing is the good side. <laughs> you get the best of me, if you will. So, it don't matter what kind of day I have, by the time I get up here, it's become a good day. I, it's not about trying to be a hypocrite. It's just, I, I don't have the luxury that some of you have. You can, you can come to church with a bad day and let everybody know you're having a bad day. You can come just sit there with a scowl on your face and you can get away with it. I am blessed, <laughs> and it's a blessing. 
I'm blessed with the responsibility that I, 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 I hate, to be honest, I really hate sitting up here when somebody else is preaching. I can't tell you the number of times I've had somebody make a comment to me about you know, the, the look on my face or my, my, the way I was sitting and what they thought that was communicating. And the majority of the time I'm like, what? Are you? Oh man, a look on your face. I'm like, we're going to sit there the whole time. So somehow by the time you get up here, you got to. <laughs> so you get, you, you get, you get the good side. <laughs> they don't get the good side. I mean, they do, but they get the other side. But I am, I am convinced. I, 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 I'm, I'm setting, I realize the, sort of the bar that I'm setting, and I'm not trying to say anything in any way to come across as being self-righteous or to come across as being judgmental of anybody else. But I am absolutely convinced, and even with whatever human weaknesses I have, if the five people I live with every day cannot sit there, see me here, and respect me, there is a problem. There's a problem. So again, the challenge is you see the humanity and then you see this other side. One of the things my dad was always very quick to do growing up was he didn't try to hide or ignore his weaknesses and failures. He was willing to acknowledge them. He was willing to, to, to own up. <laughs> And I think that's where part of the other challenge comes in with, again, preacher's kids growing up in a preacher's home and backsliding is the parent, the dad, the preacher acting like everything's fine when they make mistakes. I, brethren, I know I'm picking on the men tonight, but what, what does your spouse sit there and think when you walk in here and you walk around with that hot hand? Looking, trying to find somebody to give a word to. What are, what are your kids sitting there thinking? What are your kids sitting there thinking when they see you up here? What are, what's, what's going through their mind? Is what's going through their mind? Who is that guy? I don't know him. Or can they see this and respect this? Because when you're in the privacy of what God has given you to be an overseer of, there is perfection. No, again, that word blameless, a bishop being blameless is not perfect. Do they have to try to sit and justify, <laughs> rationalize these two different creatures? <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm, I feel like I'm kind of all over the map here tonight, so I don't blame it on the fact I haven't taught in weeks, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to find the runway here. I don't think I've really, I don't think I actually have really quite made the point that's 
been chewing on me so much. Of not only kind of how broad these things are that Paul said, but just again, I, this is this is really, I'm sure, not the best word I'm looking for, but it just keeps, but just kind of how unspiritual. So much of that is just daily practical things that Paul said, if you're going to be an overseer, if you're going to care for something, these are the things that should be seen in your life. These are the things that are expected. These are the qualities that should be able to be seen. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, we keep hearing, we've hear, we, we heard it some here, so I, but I've heard it at other places too. You know, it, we, we got, everybody's, you know, focused around just, you show up to church a couple of times a week and that, that's good. You're, you're, you're doing good. As long as you can show up to church, you're doing good. That's not, that's not the measurement of spirituality. In fact, I, I, I used to say this in chapel every now and then. I said it numerous times through the years of teaching chapel at ACS. I, don't, I, don't, I really, in a lot of ways, I don't care what you do here on Sunday night. Yeah, you ought to worship. You ought to be involved in what's going on in the service. All that. You understand what I mean. But for the most part, I'm not, I'm not measuring your spirituality by what you do here. I don't think God's really measuring my spirituality by what I do here. God's measuring it by when I walk out of this building. What takes place the rest of this night? What takes place tomorrow when I get up? What takes place throughout my day and what takes place throughout my weekend when I'm not here? I remember the song we sung a couple times in the past. Been a while, but one day Jesus will call my name. As the days go by, I hope I don't stay the same. And then that, that next, I think it's, not, I guess it's not the last line, but that next line. I want to get so close that it's no big change on the day that Jesus calls my name. I want to get so close can we, can we make it a little bit more practical, a little bit more every day? I want to get so close to Him that who I am when I come here, there's really no difference than what I am out there. I want to get so much like Him that there's not, there's not these, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not, um, Clark Kent in the office. And then all of a sudden I step into my Superman spiritual persona. 
I preached it Sunday night. Kind of funny, most of the time when I travel, I preach stuff there that I've preached here. It's not often that I preach something I've never preached here. Sunday night at Brother Reavers, I preach something I've never preached here. Part of it is something I have touched on here many times, but I wonder if I wonder if you could put Enoch in the context of this tonight. That maybe somehow Enoch could have been a bishop. Because he learned how to practically, or in a practical way, simply walk with God. To be what he was supposed to be. I challenge the brethren here tonight. challenge some of you younger men especially. I know there are several of you here that believe God has called you. Some of you are already pursuing that. Some of you are beginning to pursue that. I challenge you tonight not to live with your life separated into compartments. I got, I got, my, I got my everyday life here. But I got my call over here. I got my practical life here, but I got my spiritual world here. I'll be nice to people at church, but I'm not going to be nice to people on the job. I'll be polite to people here, but I'm not going to be polite out there. Really? He said... Have a good report. Maybe I will read this one. A good report of them which are without. Those who are without the church. That is, those who are not Christians. I wonder how many of us, I'm, I'm closing for whatever that's worth. I wonder how many of us would be willing to sit down before a panel of people that were going to evaluate us based on the qualifications that Paul gave to Timothy. and I wonder how many of us would say, sure, I'll sit there. Bring in all the witnesses you need to bring in. Bring in my wife, bring in my kids, bring in my co-workers, bring them all in. Read to them. Read, read to them all of these things that are the qualifications, the expectations for an overseer, a ruler, and let them evaluate me and see. Talk about how blameless I am. One wife, phew, hallelujah, I got that one. I'm, I'm good there and promise you I don't plan to change that one. Am I, am I ooh, self, self-willed? 
How how quick do I get angry? That that striker there. I, most of us, most of us, most of us men could say, well, "I got. I'm not a striker." Yeah, not with this. Well, when Paul's talking about a striker, he wasn't just talking about the fist. He's talking about the words, the mouth. Man, we live in a we live in a sarcastic world. The majority, I personally, this is nothing majorly spiritual or whatever. It's just kind of my preference, so I'm not judging you if you do. But I don't I don't watch sitcoms. Because the majority of the humor is nothing but sarcasm. The problem is you can't eat that as a diet and not become that. Just stand, please. Oh, hallelujah. Father, I pray that you would help us tonight, especially every man in this place, Lord. I realize, according to this world, the creative order has been tampered with, and in so many situations, it's not in place. But as believers, God, trying to live according to your word, we are doing our best to have the order that you established in your word. And so I pray for every man here tonight, whether married or single, those that are married, whatever stage they may be in, as how long they've been married, if they've got children, what ages, in the house, out of the house, whatever it is. God, I pray for every male tonight in particular. God, I believe the pattern that was established from the very beginning with Adam is what's our role and responsibility as well, that there are things in our lives that you have given us to dress and keep. God, I believe that you've placed the natural there to be the develop, the developing grounds for the spiritual. That you place natural responsibilities and tasks in our lives as a part of the development of the spiritual. Help us tonight. God, I pray for us as believers, as apostolics tonight, that it seems like in this modern day of Christianity, the standard of what that means has been lowered so much that we can simply profess with our mouths and then how we live and what we do is ignored. But God, Your Word is very clear very clear on what you expect from us, very clear on what the principles we are to live by. So I pray that you would help us tonight. Rather than giving in to the thinking of this world, the philosophies of this world, the humanistic ideas of this world, that we would once again commit ourselves and submit ourselves to being governed by your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, God, I pray tonight, not only as the pastor of this congregation, but also as a husband, 
and as a father. God, that if there are things in my life that are out of alignment with the things that I have taught tonight, that you would show me that you would bring conviction in my life. In the name of Jesus Christ, Father, I I want my life to be in alignment with your word. God, I know that it's possible and in some ways perhaps easy for us to have blind spots in our own lives where there are things that we miss about ourselves. I pray, God, that you would shine the light in our hearts to show and reveal any area in which we may be overlooking or we may be justifying things that are out of alignment with your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, by your grace, help us tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I want to say it one more time. Brethren, I, I am encouraging you. I realize I did read a good amount, but there's some really challenging, stirring things that I have in these notes tonight that I didn't get to. And uh, if you will email me, I'm more than willing to share them with you, and I would encourage you to spend some time reading and praying through some of these things, if you would. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you Sunday. In Jesus' name.